Hey friends, thank you so much for joining me today. Before we get started, a couple things you need to know. First of all, I have some tour dates coming up. If you live in East Lansing, Michigan, or in Toledo, Ohio, I have concerts coming up in those two cities this spring. Go to www.joannawhaley.com and go to the events tab and there are free tickets available there. I do all kinds of events and you can find me in a city near you. I am based mostly out of Michigan, but I do venture out and some more dates to come. Another exciting thing coming up is this winter, February 9th, Friday, February 9th, I'm releasing a brand new EP called Freedom and it's just in time for Easter and Lent. And if you would like to play these songs, if you're a part of a church, please do go to my website and find the resources. Today, we're talking about some really hard topics. Well, as I mentioned in the beginning... Today, we, we are going to talk about some pretty intense stuff. Uh, you know, yesterday on the show, I talked about my Catholicism and growing up Catholic in the Catholic Church and, and, and all of the things that were going on in my family and in my, my personal life and inside of my Catholic parish. And, and yeah, there was some real mess in there. And some of this mess really <laughs> was messed up. But through it, I was able to find some of the, some of the bright spots. And I'm, I'm able to point to right now where I'm at in life and where I'm going in life back to those roots, back to that beginning time back when I grew up Catholic. Today, I just want to warn you, today is going to be a little bit heavier than most episodes that I record. Today, I really want to talk about the pain that's inflicted by clergy and the pain that even I inflicted as a pastor. So, you know, as I mentioned last episode, I was Catholic and I was pretty content with it. I started like popping into my my cousin's youth groups. They kind of were pretty instrumental in getting in getting me into more of like a, a Protestant uh, faith. Uh, so they were part of a... a a Presbyterian church and they had a worship band and all that. And I thought it was really cool. I went to a camp with them and super fun. But what started to transpire over the next few months or year of my life was that I, I played sports. And as if, if you're listening to this and you don't know much of my story, I'm a transgender woman. So I, I lived most of my life as uh, as a man, as a boy, and I played boys' sports. And baseball was one of my ways that I hid, and I was I was pretty good at it. Um, I, I so every day on my baseball team, 
every single day there was this one guy on the team that would invite me out to his youth group. And for me, um, I, I started to get a little bit annoyed with it. I would be like, okay, thanks, friend. I, I don't know if I want to go, but thank you for the invite. I'm good. <laughs> it was like every single day that he was inviting me. Well, one day, I kind of just had had enough of it. And I said, hey, listen, I will come to your youth group one time if you just please stop bugging me. <laughs> he, he was just ruthless, relentless, just kept on just pushing and asking me to come to his youth group. And little did I know is that my friend was exercising Mark 16. He was going into the world and trying to make disciples and evangelizing into his friend groups and trying to save us. Well, I kind of bit on the on the bait and I said, okay, I'll come. And so I went. And there was a girl there who was really cute. And I like, you know, I was interested more in the girl in the, at first um, than the Jesus thing. So I just kept going back and going back and going back. And I, I just over time started to fall in love with this church. It was a really welcoming place. Um, if you've ever been to a mega church, mega churches are very, uh, they're very good at making you feel loved. They're making, they're really good at making you feel like you're the only person in the world that matters. And there's this thing called love bombing. And this is really what I've experienced. And a lot of people who go to mega church or have had experiences, mega churches, they, they, um, they experience this thing called love bombing. Psychologist Alana Tanai, uh, she's a doctor, said uh, the love bomber's ultimate goal is not just to seek love, but to gain control over someone else. Over time, those grand gestures are an effort to manipulate you and to make you feel indebted to the dependent and to make you dependent on them. Oh boy, did this become my reality. Wow. And as I said, I, I really try to find the positive, but I have to paint this picture for you because I got into this church that was really kind of cool and there was like tattooed people and people smoking out in the front and like it just seemed like this kind of cool church of misfits and this whole, this idea uh, that that I've heard coined called churchianity. Daniel Dennett calls it churchianity. We become, we become devoted to the church and what it represents. And like this, so like part of my church experience became, I, I became affiliated with this like cool place of people. And it wouldn't matter what the event was. It was just like we wanted to be there because we were part of this church. This church was like cool. It was like a badge of honor. And I started to develop what's called churchianity. And I really fell in love with it. Well, fast forward, uh, I, I end up getting hired at this church. Now, they were, they were slow to give out a title pastor, but it's what I was. I was a worship pastor in this church. And I, 
I got in and just I went went full steam ahead into this ministry. But there was this thing going on in the background that that was interesting. I I thought that pastors had to have a degree. You had to, you know, go through all this school. They were reverends and doctors and all this. But my pastor said, you don't need a degree. You don't need to do that. Just work here for the rest of your life, basically, was what was told to me. And we're encouraged to, I mean, many people were encouraged not to get degrees. And really, in the background, what I started to see was happening was that, and and there are studies that show this, a a, a survey of youth and religion by by a national survey had shown that there's longitudinal, uh, longitudinal data that compares religious beliefs getting more liberal with more education. And it's true. And, and so what's happening is that um, there's this idea, there's this idea that that you don't need that degree, just follow our brand of church, follow our brand of Christianity and you'll be okay. It's the bastardization of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who we just celebrated MLK Day this week. I mean, when, when MLK said, uh, he, he says that you don't need a college degree to serve. You don't need to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve or, or, or to, be, uh, to be involved. But this plays to some of the extremes that I started to notice in pastoral leadership and how I began to lead. There's this saying that's in megachurch world, and it was it was it was with us too. It was so goes the leader, so goes the organization, or the organization takes on the personality of its leader. And I want to be really careful here, and I've been really critical at times of former pastors, and I will be so respectful. I will not use names. But there, there were times where I began to see things like, like entitlement, that they were due, what, like what was coming to them. This exaggerated, we had a, there, our leadership, there was this exaggerated self of, uh, of self-importance. We felt superior to every other church. Our church never wanted to work with any other church because we thought we were superior to everyone else. We thought that our version of Jesus was better than everyone else's. There were pervasive patterns of grandiosity in this organization and in its leader. And if some of these are starting to sound familiar, What I'm talking about is actually the definition of narcissistic personality disorder. Another, to frequently overestimate your talents. There were so many times in my ministry that leadership would convince me and convince themselves that we were better than we were, that we were grand, It was all in pursuit of celebrity Christian 
culture. This was in the time of Mark Hill, uh, of Mark Driscoll at Mars Hill with his his uh, real marriage book campaign that made huge headlines because it was such a fraud. They got caught sending six thousand books to over a thousand different addresses. And they were really careful with how they did it just to make it chart and make the pastor look bigger than he was. I've learned some things since this time. The funny thing is, is I've learned it by, by widening my lens, by learning outside of these environments, which were so convincing for me to be a part of things I've learned in chaplaincy and other traditions. See, something I learned in chaplaincy and and in ministry now is that there is an imbalance of power between a pastor or a clergy member and those that they serve. There's an Islamic principle called do no harm. And it's something that we should all have as clergy members We should have ethics of conduct that care for the people we work for and don't care what our platform is. And if we are trying to build a platform, we need to be honest about it. I've harmed many people in ministry. And I've harmed them and I don't think I was a bad person. And this is going to make some mad. I don't even think the pastor I worked for was a bad person. I just think that we've allowed some dirty things into the pure water that could be a beautiful faith outworking. So if you're someone listening to this and you were ever harmed by me as a pastor or you have been harmed by somebody as a pa- who was who is a pastor or was please reach out i want to listen i don't want to make excuses it's wrong and we should and can do better thank you for listening to the show today this has been a production of whaley media you can support the show at slash podcast we'll see you tomorrow Great.